Let's pray. Father, we do pray once again, God, that uh, you would bless this time. And Lord, I do pray that as we, as we walk through this section of scripture, that God, you would speak to our hearts. Once again, dealing with a group of people that are struggling and having a hard time and, and trying to figure out life, figure out their, their place with you. And Lord, the same thing's going on in, this, in our hearts and in this fellowship. So we wanna learn from you. We wanna know you. We wanna fellowship with you. So God, take the, the, what's written here and don't let it just be words we read or a message we hear, but God, impact our lives change our hearts so that God we're drawn into that intimate relationship with you. So God, we do give you this time. We thank you for it and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, as we're working through Hebrews 8 and 9, especially uh, especially this part of 9, uh, the author has been talking about the old covenant versus the new covenant, that the new covenant is better, the New Testament, the whatever you want to call it, and he's been working through that, and as he works through that, here's what's interesting, as he works through that, he doesn't put one down to build the other one up. He says how good the one is, but then he says this, this other one's so much gooder, Right? And, and that you understand that, that you start believing that, and you start walking in that. So listen, as he's done this throughout, you know, throughout uh, Hebrews, when he compared Jesus to the angels, to the prophets, to Moses, to Aaron, you know, as, as, he, as he brought that up, what did he do? Every time he built them up, and then he lifted Jesus a little bit higher. Something that we might learn. Don't put something down so you can build something up. Just build the thing you're building up. Build it up. So he's doing that. Now listen, as he's doing this today, I, I consider the main theme today, I know we're going to talk about the temple and the tabernacle and the different things, but the main theme is, do you have a clear conscience or not? You see, the only thing that can cleanse a conscience is the blood of Jesus Christ. There's all kinds of religions that try and do it. I was raised in a religion. I was raised in, I brought it up before, in a Serbian Orthodox church. And, and listen, we kind of had it, you know, I know Catholics have to go to confession often. In the Serbian Orthodox church, we only had to go once a year, which made it kind of nice. And the priests made it even easier. Listen how easy this is. This, is. this is how religion tries to fix your conscience. It was so easy. We would go to church. You would go up to the altar. You would kneel. The priest would come to you. And, and you did this as a family. Families did this together. And each family had a special time of the year. But you'd go and you would kneel. And the priest would come up and he'd say, have you sinned? And you would say, of course. No, you wouldn't say that. But you'd say Yes. And then he would say this, do you want forgiveness? Yes, done. So listen, a lot of religions are that thing. Here's the thing, they're trying to soothe the conscience. And if you grew up in a religion doing it, whether, you know, maybe you were Catholic, maybe you were in an Orthodox religion, maybe some other one. Hey, Hindus, Buddhists, I don't care where you go, Muslims, I don't care who it is, they're always trying to fix that. And here's the thing, only Jesus can fix that. Only Jesus can take care of that. Even if you, you may walk away from whatever it is you do that day, you may walk away that day feeling pretty good, then Monday, Tuesday, you start thinking that was just, that didn't work. So here's the, here's the kicker, the law didn't work either. 
in all of their practice, all of their rituals, all of the things they did, it still didn't work. We need Jesus. So that's his point. Listen what he's telling them. Hey, this is good, but there's something so much better for you guys, and why don't you believe the better instead of trusting in the old? So he comes up again. He just talked about the old covenant growing old, and it's ready to vanish away. Then in verse 1 of chapter 9, he says, Then indeed, even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service and the earthly tabernacle. So listen, he's telling them, I know what that was. I know that was good. And I understand, and it was even, hey, the old covenant was from God. The problem with the old covenant is not the covenant, it's the people that the covenant was made with. You know, and, and listen, so, so he says, listen, it had divine ordinances, and then he says this, it even had the tabernacle. Now he's brought up the tabernacle a little bit, but now he's gonna go somewhat in depth to get us to understand, listen carefully, we have something so much better. But you kind of have to get a picture of the old to understand how much better the new is. So, so for them, listen, they all had an understanding. They were all people who had practiced Judaism who came out of that. So they were very, very familiar with it. For most of us, it's kind of distant to think about and distant to work through. So verse 2, listen, he says this. For a tabernacle was prepared, the first part in which was the lampstand, the table, and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid on all sides with gold, in which were the golden pot that uh, had the manna, Aaron's rod that had budded, and the tablets of the covenant. And above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things, we cannot now speak in detail. Now, I don't know about you guys, but that last part bothers me. It's like, listen, it's like that person who comes up and says, I have something to tell you. Never mind. I'm thinking, what, why did you bring this up and then go, we're not gonna talk about it in detail. Now, some people try and cover for him and say what he's trying to say is because they were Jews, they were very familiar with this. That's not what he said. He didn't say, we're not gonna talk about it because you know about it. Here's what he says, listen. He says a pretty, hey, of these things we cannot speak in detail. I want to. Now listen, we're not gonna go into great detail. If you want detail, homework, right? You gotta look at Exodus chapter 25 through 30. If you read that, that gives you the description and everything about the tabernacle. Listen, he's not talking about the temple, he's talking about the tabernacle, and it gives you the details. So I wanna encourage you, read that for homework. And I don't know about you guys, I enjoy that section of scripture on some levels, on some levels it drives me nuts. On the levels where he begins talking about like the tent pigs every detail, here's what I think, I don't care. You could describe one, but you don't have to describe 500. And uh, you know, so if you've gone through that, you know what I'm talking about. But here's the thing that blows my mind as you go through that portion of scripture. Here's the, here's the amazing thing. Moses goes up, God gives him the model. Moses comes down. Do you remember what the first thing he did when he came down? Here's what he did. Hey guys, we need to build this tabernacle 
and we need your stuff to do it, right? He says, so we need to get, you guys need to give so we can build this. Now, I, I just put it that way because here's what blows my mind. There comes a point where Moses says this, stop giving. We have too much stuff. What church has ever done that? Right? Every time I read that, I went, I always think it would be awesome to one day get up and say, don't give anymore. We got too much stuff, right? He says, you guys got to stop. That blows my mind. So he gets all of this stuff together there in Exodus 25 through 30. He builds it, and we're going to look at it in a moment. And then also I put up there uh, for, for our next section we're going to look at the high priest. You got to read Leviticus 16 if you're not familiar. Again, if you're not familiar, we're going to go through some of it and explain some of it, but I could be wrong, so you should read your Bible to see if I'm right is what you need to do. So listen, he lays that out and gives them that. Now, as he does that, he's just told us the tabernacle and how it was prepared. Here's a couple things. I just Googled some images and got some images. Here's one of what it looked like when, when you would think about what it looked like when they're in the wilderness. Remember, geographically, the temple area was the heartbeat of Israel. So all of those tents are people, are the people around, and it was in the center. So you would have that, you would have that fence that was, it was uh, uh, 150 feet by 75 feet. So 75 feet wide, 150 feet long, and you had the fence out of linens and then the tent pegs and the wires and, da -da -da -da, and on and on and on. Then as you go into that area, you have that box-looking thing, which would be the altar of burnt offering. And then beyond that, you have the basin. Then you have the actual tabernacle where they would, where they would go in and go into the holy place and the holy of holies. So here's what I want you to think about. If you were a woman during that time, the closest you could get to God was outside that fence. You could go to that fence and that was it. That's as close as you could get. If you were a man, just a regular man, the closest you could get would be that, I call it the barbecue, I guess that's not very nice, but the closest you could get is the altar burnt offering where they would do the burnt offering. That's as close as you could get if you were ordinary. If you were a priest, you could go inside the tent. If you were the high priest, you could go into the Holy of Holies. Are you getting my point? Listen, there was limitations. Even as good as the old covenant was, there were limitations. So he lays it out and he set, tells us then what's in there. Now here's another, here's another illustration kind of, this one's a little bit hokey, but I hope it helps a little bit. And it sort of shows you kind of a cutaway view of the, of the tabernacle. So you would go in that doorway and you would have the lampstand, the, the, the uh, menorah, then on the other side, you would have the table of showbread where they would put the bread, and then you would have the altar of incense. And now on this one, it's on this side of the Holy of Holies. Then you had another veil, so you had the second veil, and you'd go in that back part, and that's where the Ark of the Covenant was. So you have that laid out. I just want us to understand something. Now this was uh, 15 by 45, and then it's divided. The one room is 15 by 30. That's not a real big room, is it? And then the other room was 15 by 15. So think about, now think about that. Now here's something that blows my mind. The whole structure is, uh, is 15 by, by 45. Do you know how much it costs to build that if you did it today? Six million dollars. 
When people tell me, listen, it cracks me up. People tell me, you know, God's really frugal. Seriously? Have you ever done the math on the tabernacle? That's for a tent. When was the last time you even spent a million dollars on a tent? Listen, God's, God spends money where it needs to be spent. But that kind of gives you an idea of what's going on. Now, I do want to address something, and I want to talk about something, because in this illustration, and in Exodus 25 through 30, and every other time the altar of incense is mentioned, it's mentioned being on in the holy place, not the holy of holies, but on this side of the veil where it is there, up against the veil. Now, once again, let's read our section here where it says in, in, uh, in verse three, and behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer or the altar of incense and the ark of the covenant overlaid on all sides with gold. The author of Hebrews seems to put that in the holy of holies. Now, here's, here's the thing. If, you know, some of us read that and we just kind of skip over that. Because I study a lot, I read that and I go, I don't think so. And you go back and you read Exodus. And you go back and you read Leviticus. And then you go and you read when they built the temple. And you go and you start checking and double checking and triple checking and here's, here's what you come up with. Every other time it's mentioned, the altar of incense is in the holy place, not the holy of holies. Except here. Now, here's what's funny. Some, some guys, I read them, and some of the things, like some people try and fix things for God. And they go, well, here's what was going on. What you don't know is there was a crew who came in and on the Day of Atonement, they would carry the altar of incense and put it in the Holy of Holies and then it would be in there for that day. Wrong. What was the big deal? Hey, listen carefully. When the high priest would go behind that veil to offer the blood, they tied a rope on his leg. He had bells on his robe so that if he went back there and croaked because he was in the presence of God, they could drag him. No one else was allowed back there. You can't tell me they went to God and went, time out. We're going to carry this around. Oh, we got in place. Time in. You can carry on, Lord. I don't think, that, that one's bogus. They, I don't think that, here's what, I, here's what I believe, and you can take my word or you can figure it out yourself. Here's what I believe. I believe because of the position of the altar of incense, and we're gonna read in a moment what the high priest did when he would go back there, and because of that position, and because incense ends up in the Holy of Holies, I believe he's just saying that the altar is there. I don't think it's there. I don't think it was ever there, and I think he knows it's not there. But the fragrance, the incense itself, ends up back there. So that's my opinion. If you don't like that, that's fine. You don't have to, and you can figure out your own thing. You can study and figure it out. But here's the point. He lets them know, this is what you guys know. This is what you're familiar with. This is what you're putting your hope on if you go back. I know in my life, it's easier to walk by sight than it is by faith. It's easier to trust the things that I can see, feel, and touch than to trust the things that I can't see, feel, or touch. I've never had Jesus show up. I've never had him speak to me audibly. I've never seen him. I've never been able to touch him. I have to walk by faith. 
And that's where I think these guys get into trouble. And that's where some of us get into trouble. We would rather walk by sight. And here's a good example. Go to church, go up to the altar, confess that you're a sinner, ask to be forgiven. Some guy tells you you're forgiven. You walk away. That's walking by sight. There's no faith involved there. God says you've got to walk by faith. So he lays out the tabernacle. Now he wants to get a little bit more detailed that he's not going to give us detail, right, of these things where uh, we can't not speak in detail. Verse 6, now when these things had been thus prepared, the priest always went into the first part of the tabernacle performing the services. Now when you went into the tabernacle, when you did that, as, as a priest in their, in their time, under their law, it was supposed to be worship, but I find it interesting that he says performing the services. Because you can get into a ritual thing and you can just go through the motions and you can perform. Or you can worship. We gather here, we do songs, and I know you're not up here, but still, during the time, you can perform or you can worship. They went in and they performed their duties. Here's some of their duties. They would go in there. They had to trim the wicks. They had to fill the, the, the lampstand up with oil. They had to take care of that. They had to bring incense and put in new incense. They had to change the bread once a week. They would put new bread, take the old bread. There were 12 loaves, one for each, uh, each nation of Israel, each tribe of Israel. So they would do that, and that was their, that was their duty. Now, somebody else in, in last night go, do you think they swept and cleaned up? I don't know. It's like... Why do you go there? Here's what I know. They had certain things, and here's what he's saying. Every priest did that. Now, not, uh, and I should rephrase that. Not every priest. You had to get drawn to do that. So think about this. You're a priest, and you're serving, and we've talked about it. The priest's main service was butchering animals and throwing them on the grill. I mean, that's what they did over and over and over and over and over if you got drawn, you got to go into the holy place. But not everybody went in there. We need to understand. And not everybody got that close to God. So they would do that. That was their duty. So that's kind of getting closer. Then he says this in verse 7. But into the second part, the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance, the Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was standing. That last part's the important part. Here's what he's saying. The Holy Spirit let everyone know that... As long as that tabernacle is standing, as long as that's where you're going to go worship, you can't get close to God, period. You cannot go into the holy place. There's no access. This is important. So he's telling them. Now, the high priest would go in there once a year, and, and I'll give you a little bit, but you still need to read Leviticus 16 because I could be wrong. But when he got up, and especially by the time of Christ, so Leviticus doesn't have all of this, but by the, by the time this was written, the high priest would start preparation for the Day of Atonement. That was the day he went in there. He would start seven days ahead. 
He would separate from his family. He would go hang out at the tabernacle or the temple area. He would be separated for seven days. Then on the day of atonement, man, you gotta understand something. Even today, that's a huge day for Israel. That's a huge day, the day of atonement. It's a somber day, but it's a real joyous day at the end. So he would get ready on the day of atonement. He would put in Put, he'd get all dressed up, put on those, you know, all the bling that they had and the ephod and the, you know, the stones with the names of Israel, the ephod carrying all the stones with the names of Israel, had Israel on his heart, Israel on his shoulders. He gets all ready and he goes out and he goes and he offers the burnt offering, the daily burnt offering. When he's done with that, he goes and he bathes himself and then he puts on just the linen clothing. And he comes back out and he uses the, the hyssop and the, the ashes of the red heifer mixed with water to sanctify the bull. And the bull gets sanctified, then he puts his hand on the bull, confesses his sins, his family's sins, and that's what it says. He had to go in there with blood for his own sin. He confesses that, slaughters the bull, catches the blood in a basin, gets a censer, goes into the holy place, grabs some incense, throws it on a censer, goes into the Holy of Holies, gets the censer going good, shakes it a little bit, a big cloud goes up. He's pretty happy because now he, you know, in case God's sitting there, he won't come in contact, does all of that. And believe me, you can get some good stuff going on a, on a little cake of incense if you're an altar boy. You can freak your priest out at times. So he gets all that going. I was an altar boy. But he gets all that going and then and then he takes the blood and he sprinkles it seven times on the mercy seat and seven times on the floor in front of the mercy seat. Then he comes out. And he comes out and then they take the goat. Remember, on the Day of Atonement, they would get two goats. One would be dedicated to the Lord. The other would be the scapegoat. So they would take the goat dedicated to the Lord. He would slaughter that goat for the sins of the people. He would catch that blood in a basin. He would go back in and do the same thing again. Then he would come out and you're thinking, okay, is it done? No, then he came out and then he poured the two bowls together, mixed the blood, and then went back in and did it. So you, you get the ritualism. I mean, it's huge. And I think it's pretty extravagant. I personally think it might be, might be kind of awesome, right? It would be, you'd be watching it. And then, and then, oh, then he comes out and he lays his hands on the scapegoat, puts the sin of the people on the scapegoat, and they send it out into the wilderness. And their sins are carried away. Isn't that wonderful? Then he would bathe again, put on all of his stuff, and then come out and declare, your sins are gone. And everybody would have a big party. So that's kind of it. Now, here's my thinking. I think some of you know me well enough. It's like, I don't want to hear this. Here's my thinking. What if that goat comes back? That's what I think right away. I think, what if the goat comes back? All my sins just came trotting back in my life. Sorry, that's just how I feel. That's a problem with rituals. So, so listen, man, you gotta be thinking through that stuff. Here's the problem with the law and the rituals. Number one, limited access. Guess who got to meet with God once a year? 
the high priest, in a 15 by 15 foot room. I mean, in this little, that's a small room, isn't it? Yeah, and once a year, you didn't, so you had very limited access. I always like, have you ever been like maybe to a conference or a concert or something, and some people have the, the badges that say all access? You ever been around those? And you look at those people, jerks, <laughs> right? You're wishing you had all access. And I've been to some conferences where I was speaking, so I got the all access thing, you kind of flash it. No, you don't do that. Do you know what? Because of the blood of Jesus, we all have all access. So, limited access, we're gonna get to that in a moment. Limited access, and you weren't sure if your sins were forgiven or not, because that goat could come back anytime. And it was temporary, because they had to do it year after year after year after year. So, keep that in mind, right? So, he lays that out. Now, you, now you're going with it. And then he says, listen, he says, all of that was happening. Verse 9, it was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience, concerned only with foods and drinks, various washings and fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of reformation. Listen what he says. It was symbolic. It was never meant to be a permanent thing. When God gave the law, he didn't give it hoping it would work, and then when it didn't work, he came up with the Jesus plan. It was always symbolic, always pointing towards Christ, and they needed to understand that. And listen, here's, what, here's the kicker, though. He goes, it never cleaned the conscience. Not even of the high priest. Listen, the high priest didn't even come out there and go, man, I feel better. I think he came out and goes, man, I hope that worked. It was kind of freaky back there. Now, he would never say that to the people, right? But I think in his heart, he's going, ah, I don't feel much different. I feel like I sprinkled some blood. It's kind of gross, but man, you got to go back in that room. It's a stenchy back there. I think that's why they took the incense. But anyway, I'm <laughs> sorry. Here's what he said, it didn't work. It didn't work. And then he says, listen, it was only temporary. Did you get the end of it? Until the time of reformation. He's not talking about the reformation that we look at as Christians. He's talking about the reformation, Jesus coming and changing everything. So he says, listen, it was only imposed until the time of reformation. Look at verse 11. But Christ came. Don't you love that? Listen, it was like this, but God. It's kind of like this. When they, when they do the superhero movies and stuff and, and things get like crumbling and are worse and are worse and are worse and whatever your superhero is on the scene. Well, here's what he's saying. Because he's crumbling but Jesus, right? Don't you love that? And oh, we need to think about what he's writing to them. He uses the word Christ. I think most of us understand that's the Greek form of Messiah. So let's read it that way. Listen, he's writing to Hebrew Christians. He says, but Messiah came as high priest of the good things to come with a greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. Here's what he's saying. Jesus came, and that was good, but he brought something so much better. Amen. His tabernacle, listen what he says. His tabernacle wasn't made with hands, 
Everybody knew Moses' tabernacle was made with hands. They brought the stuff in. They had to do it. Here's what he says. This tabernacle wasn't. It's in heaven. And I love that whole idea. Listen, he's telling you and I, man, Jesus came to give us something better. Even as a Christian, I want you to think about this. As a believer, and especially for these guys, you need to know something. God never takes anything away from you that he doesn't have something better for you. Don't forget that. Because if you're like me, God may be asking you for something and I'm doing this. No. And he says, give it to me. No. You kind of get a tire. He's going, just give it up. No. And then you finally let go of it and you get something so much better. And you're going, I'm so stupid. And then the next time it comes up, you go, no. Don't forget, man, here's what he's telling, here's what he's telling these Hebrew believers. That was good. What you were doing was good. But this is so much better. Christ came with a tabernacle, not built with hands, right? It's not from this creation. Not, verse 12, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Woo! Listen, we should be a little bit excited about that. He entered with his own blood. He didn't take the blood of bulls or goats or the ashes of red heifer. We'll talk about that in a moment. He didn't take any of that stuff. What did he take? His own blood Jesus was a sacrifice for our sins and when he went into the holy of holies guess what we got to go with him we don't stay outside listen we don't stay ladies you don't have to stay outside the fence guys you don't have to stay by the barbecue you go in you don't even have to stay in a holy place you can go into the holy of holies hallelujah that should listen that should really excite us look at what paul says here's paul's interpretation here's what he says in ephesians chapter 2 he says but because of his great love for us god who is rich in mercy made us alive with christ even when we were dead in transgressions it is by grace you have been saved and god Raised, up, raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Yes! Do you believe that? You see, here's the thing. It's a lot easier to go sacrifice bulls and goats than to trust that that's true. We don't have anything tangible. You gotta walk by faith. And you gotta believe by faith that you are seated in the heavenlies. I believe I'm seated in the heavenlies. He just told me, man, I had eternal redemption. What does eternal redemption mean? It doesn't mean redemption for a day or for a week or for a month or for a year. It means not even for a lifetime. It means forever. Man, by his blood, I'm saved and I'm going, man, who cares about some stinking bulls and stuff and having to deal with that issue, Right? By his blood he did this. Listen, and then he says this, for if the blood of bulls and goats uh, and the ashes of a heifer, uh, a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Did you hear what he said? If that other worked, listen to how much better this works. 
because you're not depending on the blood of bulls and goats. And then he brings up the ashes, the ashes of the red heifer. That's something interesting. I think that's Numbers 26. Might be Numbers 16. Might be Numbers 20. I just read the book of Numbers. <laughs> I know you guys like the book of Numbers. But listen, in, in the whole thing, here's the thing, and, and this, is, this is relevant for today in Israel. Here's the thing. <clears throat> to sanctify anything, so to do any offering, to even sanctify the altar, or to go in to sanctify anything, they had to take the ashes of the red heifer, mix it, and use a, you know, a bush, and sprinkle it, and that would sanctify whatever they're doing. And in order to, when they're getting low on ashes, right? You'd be using them, you get low, you need a new red heifer. And the red heifer had to be without spot, without blemish, bred a certain way, but you listen carefully, you had to have the ashes to sprinkle on that one so that one would be sanctified and then you would, uh, you would uh, offer it up as a sacrifice, burn it, and now you got more ashes. Are you with me? In Israel today, a lot of people say if they had this, if they had that, if they had, and they plug all these things in, they could go to, back to worshiping and even doing sacrifices. They're pretty ready for that. I know Peter would have a fit. It would be a huge complication in our global world. I'm gonna tell you something. Talk to some Orthodox Jews. Talk to some people who are really in it. Talk to the people at the Temple Institute when we go. All they need to start doing sacrifices, they don't need a temple. Here's what they need. The ashes of the red heifer. They even have red heifers that people have raised and bred that have no spot, no blemish, but they cannot sacrifice those till they find the ashes of the red heifer to mix and to sanctify that red heifer. If those Jews, and I don't mean this in a derogatory way, if the Jews ever find the ashes of the red heifer, Peter, watch out, because sacrifices are gonna start. They're going to do it. So. He brought up the red heifer, now, or the ashes of the heifer. Now, listen, in all of that, that was kind of a comeback. That was kind of a, a, a side trail. Sorry, come back. Here's what he's saying. If the blood and the, of the bulls and the goats and the ashes of the red heifer, if they did what they did, how much more? Did you hear what he says? How much more shall the blood of Christ who he offered himself without spot, without blemish. Some people get uptight about that. You need to accept that Jesus was an offering for our sin. He goes, listen, he says, how much more does that, look at the end of it, cleanse your conscience from dead works? Wow, I love that. Do you know what he's telling me? You know how I can wash my conscience? I have to wash it in the blood of Jesus. I have to put my faith in that. And I have to put my faith and I have to trust that what God says is true and I can believe it and I can trust it. My conscience, my, the enemy of my soul, and even some people I hang out with, they're like, you really think you're clean? Uh-huh. Why do you think you're clean? because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Not because I'm a great person, because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And I love that whole idea. Listen, listen carefully. My Bible tells me in 1 John chapter 1, verse nine, if I confess my sins, 
He's faithful and just to forgive me of my sins. That's what the Bible says. A lot of people stop there. Listen to the rest of that because it has to do with what we're talking about this morning. If I confess my sins, he's faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Yes, yes. And he says it's the blood of Jesus that cleanses it cleanses our conscience. And then he says this from dead works so that we can serve the living God or worship the living God. Listen, Jesus didn't save us just to be lumps lying around. He saved us to, to honor him and to serve him. And again, I'm not talking about doing works to stay saved or be saved, but that should be the fruit of your relationship with him. The thing I found out and it's kind of weird, as you get older, you, you kind of go, wow, wish I would have known that like at 30. The thing I find out is that the more deeply you love somebody, the more you want to take care of them, the more you want to serve them, the more you want to do things for them, etc. Well, if that goes with physical relationships, shouldn't that go with our spiritual relationship? The more I'm in love with Jesus, the more I want to do for him. I'm not doing it because I'm hoping he'll be pleased. I'm not trying to do things so I get brownie points. I'm not trying to do it so I get a better seat in heaven. That's what some people go, well, you know, there's different seats. I want to be up front. Dude, you just made yourself go all the way in the back. <laughs> Listen, I don't do it for that. I do it because I love him, because I understand something. His blood washed away my sin washed away my shame, washed away my guilt. I have a clean conscience, not because I'm great, but because he's great. Here's what he says, the author of Hebrews. I understand you guys want to go back to this, and I even understand why. It's pretty glorious. I have to confess, when I describe it or when I read it, I kind of think, wow, I would like to see that. That sounds pretty intense. And I, you know, hey, and once again, easier to walk by sight. And he says, listen, I know you're attracted, and some of us have our, our little works things, our rules, our, our whatever. This is what Christians do. This is what Christians look like. This is how Christians talk. This is who Christians talk to. This is who they don't talk to. This is what they buy. This is what they don't buy. All of that. <laughs> He's saying, listen, get rid of all of that and trust Jesus. It's kind of like this. They always say, don't do this. Put all your eggs in one basket. Put them all in Jesus. And he is faithful. So I love, listen, I love this section because I just love thinking about all of this stuff. And then, I, and then I love thinking about the heavenly tabernacle. Man, I think the illustrations we get, they're hokey. There used to be this application. Right when iPads and stuff first came out, like the year, year and a half after, there was this thing called Glow Bible. It was like the best. You could go in and do virtual tours of like the tabernacle and the temple and, and you would go in and they'd put all this stuff together and I used it for like three years and then it disappeared. It's like, I don't know if they violated copyright laws or something, but it was so good. So if anybody has a virtual thing, let me know where you found it and I'll go back to it. But anyway, sorry. Let's fall more in love with Jesus and let's exalt him. And check this out, saints. Let's just hang out in the Holy of Holies because we have full access. Listen, you got the all access pass? Flash it a little bit. Let people know. I got all access. And let them know. Let's stand up and pray.
Father, we do thank you once again, God, for your word. And, and Lord, I just thank you for the challenge that we have. And Lord, as we read this, again, for some of us, I know some of us were going, why are we doing this sanctuary? Why are we doing this tabernacle and high priest and all of that? But yet, Lord, it's part of the history of who we are. And it's all done to exalt Jesus and give him the rightful place in our lives. So I pray that for some of us, even if we didn't comprehend a lot of it, that we would understand Jesus is greater than anything. And that we would begin to believe that and walk in that and trust that. So God, take us and let us just enjoy being seated in the heavenlies with you and bask in that for a while. And I'm gonna ask you all to stay in, in that attitude of prayer and keep that heart of prayer and pray for people right now who don't know Jesus. And if you're here today and you do not have a relationship with Jesus, you've never asked him to forgive your sins, to come into your life and to guide you and direct you, then you know what? Today is the day of salvation. You're not here by mistake. Maybe somebody invited you. Maybe you, you know, maybe you just showed up. You, you thought, hey, I gotta go to that Calvary Chapel and see what's up. Hey, and you're here and you do not have that relationship. Today, today call on his name. And here's what we mean by that. You have to come to God if you're gonna come to the Lord. You gotta be honest. And so the first thing you gotta do when you come to him is admit you're a sinner. I don't think that's hard for anybody. I always like to say it's okay because we've all sinned, but I think every person knows they've sinned. They know they've violated God. They know things they've done that aren't wrong. That's our conscience. So, but you gotta admit it. You gotta come to God and admit it. Not so that he knows, so that you know. Then secondly, if, you, if you're admitting it, you should be sorry for your sin. And then the last thing, ask Jesus to forgive your sins. The Bible says that he went on a cross, he died to pay the, the punishment that you owed for your sins, and all you have to do is ask him to forgive, and here's what he'll do. He will forgive you. All of that said, you gotta do that from a sincere heart. You can't do it for fire insurance. You can't do it just, you know, just because you're in church. You gotta be sincerely wanting a relationship with him. So if that's, if that's where you're at, I'm gonna say a prayer. You can say it after me out loud. You can say it silently. If you're backslidden, you can say this prayer with us. Come, I always like to tell people, if you're backslidden, come home, man, come back. Come back to Jesus. If you're watching online, you can say this prayer in your home. If you're watching online and you're at home and you wanna say this prayer, kind of shout it out and see how, how awesome that would feel as we pray. But repeat this after me. Jesus, today I confess that I am a sinner. God, I'm sorry that I sinned against you. And right now I'm asking you to forgive me. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for your forgiveness. And now I want you to come into my heart and change me. Jesus, I'm asking you to come into my life and guide me. Today I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. 